Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. What is up on a Friday? I'm Brian Scott Riffey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Mailbag Friday, but not really, edition of the Rebel Report podcast. The People's Quarantine is back, sort of. We got a couple mailbag questions. I didn't actually uh, like ask for any because we have a bunch to talk about. The NFL draft, which is what we'll spend probably the majority of the show talking about, was uh, – I don't know if wild's the right word, but it was fascinating. And honestly, like it was the first real, well, I'm going to get myself in trouble. It was the first football related sporting event we've had in a long time. I saw Adam Schefter got himself in trouble with that last night, but a lot to get to. I'm not even sure where to start, but uh, what I, uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it last night. Admittedly, I did not stay up through the end. I think I got to pick 28. No, 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 I guess I got to the Titans at 29, whatever it was. The last two picks is my point. I went to bed. I was like, I don't care. I'll read about it in the morning. But uh, I thought it was great. Uh, I said on the radio yesterday, uh, ESPN wouldn't get, and even the NFL wouldn't get credit if things went smoothly. uh, And they would just get absolutely shat upon if, you know, you had some major glitch. But that was pretty well done. And it was an impossible situation they did pretty well with. I was impressed. Yeah. Hey, forgive Adam Schefter for not remembering something that had 300,000 viewers. I mean, the NASCAR iRacing League was watched by triple the people that the WNBA draft was watched. So, I mean, attack him on Twitter, blue check mark hero, but uh, doesn't change the fact that most for- everybody feels like this is the first major sporting event since coronavirus. Yeah, not really important, but for those of you not familiar, not on Twitter, whatever, Adam Schefter, NFL reporter for a long time, was shockingly, he covers the NFL, seems to love his job, was super pumped about the draft and said for the first time in what feels like forever, a live sporting event, and he got shamed for being sexist or whatever, whatever the latest thing is for uh, not counting the WNBA draft, which happened uh, seven days ago. I'm not even being facetious. I just I did not know that it happened either. I would have say, made the same mistake. I'm going to bet Adam Schefter not trying to be sexist. I bet he likes his job. It was really pumped and, like he said, got caught up in the moment. Who cares? Yeah, it, nobody, Rippy. No, I mean, nobody at all, except for the people that want you to think that they care. Nobody cares. Yeah, I yeah, mean, that's he works the thing, for though, The people that say that don't watch the WNBA. No. Guaranteed. <laughs> The, the, I mean, he works for ESPN, probably should have known it was aired, but my goodness, man, like like I said, under 400,000 people watched it. I haven't seen the numbers for last night. My prediction was over 15 million. There's a slight difference. But anyway, yeah, the draft, it, dude, The as you said on the radio yesterday, ESPN, the NFL Network, the NFL altogether deserve a ton of credit. That was it was pretty freaking flawless last night. I mean, there were a couple of times where I watched ESPN mostly. Uh, a couple of times where like they would throw something to an analyst and like maybe their their thing froze and like Trey Wingo would take over. By the way, he said a couple of things that he probably should have rehearsed better. Like if you like watching guys abuse people, then watch this guy. You know, just like rework that sentence a little bit. Otherwise, it was flawless last night. It felt like that was what they were planning on doing the whole time. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it was, I mean, and that's not like they had a ton of time to prepare for this. I mean, you got to remember the last sporting event when the world was normal was a little less than six weeks ago. Oh, no, I guess it's right at six weeks at this point. But you get my point. 50 days. Yeah, it's not like you had it. They had a ton of time to prepare for this, and it really was just almost an impossible situation. I mean, not even just ESPN and NFL Network, the NFL itself just trying to get ready for that, asking a bunch of football jocks to draft from their home via. Skype computer and all that, it seemed to go pretty flawlessly. There wasn't any major uh, wasn't any major slip ups. I did enjoy uh, all the like stuff going on in the background at the various GM's house. Uh, I don't know if you saw. Apparently, I didn't actually see this live. I uh, I guess after the pick got in or whatever, I got up and walked around or whatever. But uh, Mike Vrabel uh, had a group of people. I don't know who it was. It looked like maybe his sons <laughs> and someone else. Uh, walking around in the background, and there appeared to be in the back left corner a reflection of a kid taking a dump with the door <laughs> open that got caught on national television as Mike Bragle just has a fat dip in at the same time. It was honestly very on-brand Mike Bragle. Yeah, and they claim that he was just sitting on a stool, which is probably not the best wording you should use if you're trying to convince people he wasn't taking a dump. His pants were down. What do you yeah. think he was sitting on a stool? Like, I didn't even fly. It doesn't, but, I mean, whatever. I just, just own up to it. Like, it was funny. I liked it in the background, whether it was the kids or you had Giants GM Dave Gettleman, who just seems like a very odd guy, sitting in a room by himself with no one in sight and then fumbling to around to try to put his mask on. Uh, it was pretty funny. You know, you had the different backgrounds of the players and stuff. I saw a friend of the show, even though he guaranteed he has no idea who I am and doesn't remember doing the show. Lee Steinberg was kind of lurking in the background when Tua got drafted. He's uh, another big sign for him, but I kind of saw him in the back left corner. He was like trying to get out of the screen to let the family have their moment, but like the side of his head was still there. I found that funny, but uh, I kind of like this. I mean, obviously I wouldn't prefer this, but I enjoyed seeing all the different settings of the GMs and the setup and the coaches and their setup, and uh, and all of that. Like I, I enjoyed kind of the peep into everyone's homes, and then and we you know, got you, to see uh, girlfriends make news as well. What was it? CD Lamb's girlfriend takes his phone, and he looks at her, and takes it right back, and shakes his head like, "Uh, hell no." And then, uh, oh god, his name's escaping. He was a later round pick. I gotta find him. I think he went to Baltimore, right? Um, wasn't Patrick Queen? I can't remember who it was. Anyway, it was an offensive lineman. That was, it was Tennessee. It, it was Isaiah Wilson. And he gets drafted, and they cut to the video of him on the phone, and his girlfriend sitting on his lap, and she goes and, and tries to give him a hug, and mom grabs her and like pulls her off of him so he can be the only one on camera. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a <laughs> – uh, all that stuff was pretty great. I mean, there was a bunch of different ones I can't even think of. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury uh, just – the ultimate like single bachelor guy in a house with like a button down pants and boat shoes and like the most luxurious looking living room a and backyard. Five billion dollar house, by the way. In a yeah, place I called Paradise Valley. I wouldn't have even uh I wouldn't have even like if you asked me what Cl- King Cliff Kingsbury's house and living room look like, I probably couldn't have described it to you on their own, but what I would have tried to describe is exactly that and like what he does and what he wears in there. Like I, I found that to be perfectly on brand. But uh, it was good stuff. I enjoyed it. I know as far as getting into the draft, 
I don't even know where to start. To me, the biggest story of the night was in the 20s. It was kind of a, like a boring night. Like once Tua, neither Tua nor Herbert slipped. Like not boring is the wrong word, but like uneventful. There was no, yeah, it just wasn't a huge drama until uh, all of a sudden out of nowhere, it was like, hey, Green Bay traded up with, I forgot who they traded up with. And then they drafted Jordan Love. So the Green Bay Packers drafted up into the first round to take Jordan Love 15 years to the day from the time they did the same thing to uh, draft Aaron Rodgers to replace Brett Favre, this is not going to go well. Like you, Aaron Rodgers is the most notorious like asshole grudge holder in all of sports. I just I don't see this going well. And like that was you know I was kind of getting lulled, like not bored with it a little bit, but just kind of tuning in and out. And then all of a sudden that popped on the screen, and I was like, oh, this could get weird. That changed everything, man. And. Uh, so that was the pick, by the way, that the Dolphins acquired from Houston for Laramie Tunsil. So that's how the pa- the Packers got that pick from Miami, who got it from Houston, for whatever that's worth to you. But how about these quotes from the Packers GM? He was asked what the Jordan Love pick means for Aaron Rodgers. He said, quote, we've got the best quarterback in the NFL, and we plan to have him for a while. Then he was asked about Jordan Love being Aaron Rodgers' eventual replacement. He said, quote, I don't think you can put that on him right now. So do you not realize you traded up to draft him in the first round and you don't plan on using him and also you don't think he's Rodgers' replacement? Yeah, see, that's the thing about this. It's not like they drafted a kid in the third round to take a flyer on to maybe turn into a decent backup and develop into like a you know steady like asset quarter like decent NFL quarterback. Like when you trade up, when you trade up and draft a guy who is seen as maybe the guy with the most upside in the draft. I'm not sure if that's completely fair, but like you didn't know what to make of him because he's a small school kid, but he had a hell of an arm and kind of plays with the little like I hate doing comparisons to the latest, greatest thing in the NFL, but a little Mahomes like heck, he's your modern NFL quarterback, gigantic arm, mobile, ridiculously talented, uh, but also has some other flaws like mechanically and all that. And then like, I mean, yeah, he's a risk taker for sure. Yeah. And like, you can't really tell what he really had because they were really good at, uh, at Utah state uh, two years ago. Then Matt Wells leaves for Texas tech and, He's like, they weren't very good this year, but he's also throwing to Utah state caliber receivers. Like point being like, he was kind of the mesmerizing prospect, honestly, kind of Mahomes like you didn't know what to make of him, but a huge arm. But anyway, if you, it's not like they're taking a flyer on a third or fourth round guy and being like, maybe we'll get lucky here. They did this, you know, tactically and purposefully. And so I don't think that excuse really flies. And I saw where earlier in the day, Rogers was on Pat McAfee's show and said, you know, it uh, we haven't take, we haven't taken a skill position player in the first round in 15 years, so that would be kind of cool. So, congrats to Aaron; they drafted a skill position player. <laughs> I'm sure he'll love that. Oh yeah, um, that cha- that was that was the overarching. The reason I started there to me that was the story that's the, of the story night, of the bar night. None. Yeah, that's not even close. That's the story of the night, uh, and like. On the love thing in playing at Utah State, like I saw, and I like Peter Burns a lot. I really do. I think he's great, and he's a nice guy. I've met him a couple of times, and he he didn't. He's the kind of guy that's on TV that doesn't big time you. Like he talked to me like I was his equal. And there are a couple of other guys that work at the SEC Network on TV that when you meet them, they big time you. He's not one of them. But last night after Jordan Love got Richard's name, dude. 
Oh, well, Richard big times you, I mean, no matter what. Like, I've been, I've been dealing with Richard big time and me for six years now. So I, I'm not worried about that. I'm, I'm used to that. But um, he tweeted Jordan Love's stat line against LSU. It wasn't very good. It, it was like 14 of 24 for 100 yards or something like that. And I didn't say anything because I know what he's doing. He's an LSU guy and I, he's an SEC guy. But what do you? what did you expect was going to happen? When Utah State played at one of the best college football teams of all time, what did you think was going to happen? Like, is Jordan Love supposed to throw for 400 when his offensive line's getting ripped apart, when his receivers can't get any kind of separation whatsoever? Like, what do you expect him to do at Utah State when he goes to freaking Baton Rouge to play the best team in college football history? What do you think is going to happen? Like, that's not an indicator of anything at all. Like, that's the the most useless stat to throw out there to like make a point that all oh, Jordan loves not good because he took a Utah state team to Baton Rouge and didn't play well. Hey, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of the, but I mean, I get it. I get the sticky works sec network talking right. out the sec. just whatever. Like it's harmless, but yeah, that, I mean, that doesn't, that also doesn't mean it makes any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense. And I did see, um, the Athletic did a, a deep dive, like film study on Jordan Love, and basically the premise was he's got a lot of talent, but you don't know for sure because his last year, like some of the route combinations didn't make any sense. The, the, the guy was like, I don't understand why an offensive coordinator drew this route concept because it doesn't make any sense. Like, how do you complete passes when your receivers are doing this kind of thing? Like, apparently his last year, the offense was a joke as far as route combinations and concepts and stuff like that. Well, and by contrast, the year before it was quite good because Matt Wells, obviously good head coach, they had a talented team. He parlays that into a Big 12 job. So yeah. I, I, you can only overcome so much in college football. But, uh, and he was, was still a really good player. I was looking uh, this morning to, uh, to the Packers uh, beat writer for ESPN, uh, Rob Dimofsky, I think I'm saying his name right. He's covered the Packers for a long time. I do know that. Um, but I, I didn't find, I was unable to find any quotes from Aaron Rodgers. Um, like, uh, uh, did you see any, like, is he, has he, co- I guess what I'm asking you in like real time, if we commented, uh, I have not seen an Aaron Rodgers uh, quote at all, but man, um, what do you think the, the message is to him? I mean, because yeah, when you're looking one from at last month that, so this is in Rob's story and, uh, th- but this is not reason this is on a Milwaukee radio station last month month said i know where we're at as an organization i still feel like i have a ton of years left playing at a high level i'm confident enough i will always felt like it doesn't matter who you bring in they're not going to be able to beat me out anytime soon i really feel confident about my abilities in my play we've drafted guys over the years i think my first year starting we drafted two quarterbacks in 2008 we drafted various guys over the years I understand the business and the nature of it. Obviously, love to bring guys in that are going to be able to play and compete right away. I understand it's a business. I wouldn't have a problem. That almost sounds like he maybe knew this was coming. Kind of sounds that way. But, I mean, if you're him, still think about the other high-level quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And if you're Aaron Rodgers and you sit and watch Tom Brady get offensive line help, you watch Drew Brees get offensive line help, you watch Dak Prescott get receiver help, and you're sitting back here. Kirk Cousins gets receiver help, a really good one. Uh, San Francisco gets receiver help, a really good one. And they pick a guy from Utah State that they out loud say they don't plan on playing for a while. Hey, Matt, what are you thinking if you're Aaron Rodgers? Because 
he's towards the back end of his career. He probably has a handful of seasons left, but it's not like he's out of his I mean, he can still play and he's win you a lot got of games. Three, four more years left. Honestly, I think he's under contract for three more years, and that would put him to around 38, 30, like 39, 40, actually, I think. So, uh, like, the clock it, is ticking. Like, this is exactly what they did with Brett Favre. Literally, exactly what they did. They did it 15 years to the day, too. Yeah. And uh, Brett Favre is actually even a little more probably personable than Aaron Rodgers, and he treated Aaron Rodgers like an asshole originally. Pretty much. Yeah. And so. I would hate it if I were him. I mean, everybody else around him, these veteran quarterbacks are all getting help except for him. I'd be pissed. And in a new system last year, he was still good. Like, he's still a good quarterback that can win you games, and he's getting no help. Like, they're already just wasting, not wasting, uh, but instead of getting him an additional receiver to open up that offensive a little bit, uh, more protection up front. They're picking a guy that they're not going to use for a few years. That just sucks. When when the Saints are trying to win now and the Bucks are trying to win now, it, the Packers are mailing it in, basically. That's what the Met. It, that's what he could receive anyway. That kind of a message is they don't care about winning with me. They're going to start building for this other guy. And they got. I mean, you're talking about a team that's coming off an NFC Championship game appearance, and the main reason they were is because they got better on the defensive side of the ball. And Rodgers wasn't having to kind of be a magician. Honestly, you watch Green. Remember Green Bay last year as a football team the whole year? You're like, are these guys actually that good? Because they ground you out. They played pretty good defense. And the offense looked sort of dysfunctional a lot. They ran it a lot more. Like, they were kind of a defensive-minded team. So you figure they've got most of their guys back from that. It was a relatively young defense on the back end in particular. You figure, why not draft a receiver or two? There's incredible receivers in this draft get him a couple more weapons, and then you go make one or two more runs at the Super Bowl. Instead, you draft his successor. Uh, I am not necessarily on Team Aaron Rodgers here. I get why uh, they did it, but I would also see why he would be uh, very upset. And his quote that I read a second ago about them drafting quarterbacks, guess what? None of those have come in, like, the first three rounds. Like, these are day three dudes. They're just like, yeah, maybe. It's kind of like a lottery pick type thing. When you draft a quarterback day two, day three, it's kind of like, yeah, maybe he's Tom Brady. You're just kind of wishful thinking. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I expect the Saints are going to pick a quarterback before the draft is over. Just, I mean, you know, just because if if Jacob Eason's still the on the Saints board, would have more round. grounds to do that this year than because Drew Brees is leaving after this year. They would have more grounds to do that this year than the Packers. I kind of thought for a little bit that they were going to take Love last night. I thought I just that was a thought in my head that all right, they're going to take this kid, and because the roster otherwise is pretty complete, and I, we'll get to their pick in a little bit, I'm sure. Pretty complete. They still have some holes, but it would have been a good opportunity to pick your quarterback of the future, and they, they still chose not to. Yep. And uh, I am just I am just waiting for it. And, like, if we get training camp or something, I'm waiting for an Adam Schefter tweet at, like, 545 in the morning that uh, there is trouble at Green Bay training camp because Rodgers has given Jordan Love a swirly and is not apologizing <laughs> for it. But uh, I think, I mean, I think there's a virtually, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I just don't see how there's any chance that this does not get contentious. I think I just triple negative, but like, like there's going to be beef here. I, I just, I don't, I like Rogers, like, I mean, he's got the family thing going on. He's already kind of condescending. You think he's going to just turn a new leaf and be nice to this guy? I would say there's no shot in hell. Absolutely not. Unless Danica has gotten to him. Um, it's going to be a weird dynamic, man. He 
he does not strike me as someone that would help groom this kid to become the quarterback of the future at all. No, not not in the slightest. Let's like, try, I saw let's, a couple people talk about, oh, Jordan Love can learn under Aaron Rodgers. It's like, yeah, he's going to have to learn by observing. <laughs> Particularly when he came into the league and got the same treatment initially. They've warmed up since, and they're, they seem to be actually somewhat genuine friends now from what I've read, Rodgers and Favre. But like when Favre first came into the league, he, like, if Rodgers got the same treatment, he's already kind of an a-hole by nature. I just they, do the math. So... I am. Uh, I'm looking forward to see that drama play out. That was a fascinating move. Let's take a break real, real quick, and then let's get to uh, the local teams or the teams that we follow and just talk about that. And then we'll kind of bounce around to the quarterbacks and all that. But speaking of local, no better time to support local businesses than right now. Go see Greg LV's University Avenue across from Kroger. I appreciate Greg sponsoring the show. Uh, he's got steaks, custom cuts, sausages. All kinds of stuff. They're open normal hours. Go check out his Twitter page. He's always posted some delicious-looking cuts of beef. Uh, I'm probably going to go check it out this weekend. I've got nothing going on. I think we're going to get sunny weather tomorrow. Throw something on the grill. Eat well. uh, Social distance responsibly. But, uh, Greg, no better time to support local businesses. Greg has been great to us. Uh, Go see him. You won't regret it. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. The best place in Mississippi to get meat. So... Locally, Titans, Saints both take offensive linemen. It's hard to get jacked up about an offensive lineman. I understood the Titans pick more than I did the Saints because the Saints took a center last year, but then the kid starts crying and you don't want to dump on him and he seems like a good dude. Uh, I just didn't. We'll start there. I just didn't quite get it. Like, it's very safe. Like, it's not like you're going to, like, get killed for this, but I just didn't really understand it. Yeah, I didn't like it either until, my goodness, and it it underscores a, a Something we were talking about the other day on the radio show about Sam Williams not having anything and grew up with nothing in a a place where there's just gun violence and poverty all around him. And the kid our text sign caught a whiner. Yeah. um, And that he should just play at a lighter weight or I had to work. Why can't he? Oh, it's because um, he can't since he's a college football player. That's not really how that works. And also, nobody's hiring right now. Like, imagine how dense of a person you have to be to just say, oh, well, go get a job. Yeah, nobody's hiring right now. And when this ends, he's got to go back to being a football player. Anyway, this underscores the conversation we were having about this, the places that some of these kids come from to become high-level college football players and then draftees. It felt like every one of these players had a story that made you, I mean, emotional. And this guy was one of them. I think his dad was was killed when he was eight years old. His dad was uh, pulled over on the side of the road to help somebody change a tire. And a driver hit and killed him. I mean, uh, imagine that as an eight-year-old, too. And so he was overcome with emotions because of that. So you really grow to like the kid. I wanted a linebacker, especially because Patrick Queen was available. Because when you look at their roster, I said this yesterday on the radio, they don't need a wide receiver anymore to be instant impact because they signed Emmanuel Sanders. They don't need a defensive lineman to be instant impact anymore because they're pretty good there. Every pick they would have had except for linebacker was for depth purposes, in my opinion, going into the draft. They need a linebacker to come in and play right away because it's Demario Davis, who's great, Kiko Alonso, who stays hurt, and Alex Anzalone, who also hasn't finished a season yet. And that's really all they got from an experienced linebacker standpoint. So they needed to get one, chose not to. But Sean Payton's uh, quotes afterwards to the media were interesting to me. 
So they traded up to draft a center last year. He started every game this year, Eric McCoy, and draft another one this year. But Sean Payton said last night they didn't pick him to be a backup. They picked him to start. So what's going to happen is they're either moving Eric McCoy to guard or moving this kid to guard, and they're trying to deal Larry Warford. So he wasn't good last year, but he's still on the hook for like $12 million on the final year of his contract. I didn't think they were going to try to move him, but that's why they made this pick. They don't believe in Warford at all. They're trying to move him for a mid-round pick, and they want this kid to come in and start right away. So although going into the draft, I didn't think that they saw a glaring hole on the offensive line, they apparently saw that because Peyton, out of his, the horse's mouth yesterday, we drafted him to start this season. Thought that was interesting, and uh, Warford's as good as gone. Well, obviously, I don't really, I don't follow the Saints as closely, and I didn't remember they drafted a center last year. But as soon as the television broadcast said that, I was like, well, obviously they're not playing this kid at center. So now that you explain that, that makes sense. But I mean, you mentioned that you mentioned they need linebackers, and they're a couple piece, or a piece or two away from being a fairly flawless team. You had two pretty good linebackers go after that. You mentioned Patrick Queen, and then a pick before him. You had the kid from Texas Tech go to the Seahawks. I just I found that fascinating. Uh, yeah, I, I don't thing. like it. I, I'm going to have to live with it because, of course, and after I saw the video of him uh, getting all uh, emotional when he got the phone call. Um, so now I'm all in, of course, but I, I still I, I can't believe they passed on a guy like Patrick Queen uh, who was available in that spot. I, I'm blown away that they, they passed on him. And you've got a a growing sentiment from local media there. And I'm sure fans feel that way as well, that the Saints like hate LSU players. And it, in a weird way, it kind of makes me laugh when they always have the opportunity to pick an LSU player and they choose not to because everybody gets so mad because it's, it's not about what college they went to. You pick a guy that's going to help you win games. Who gives a shit if you went to LSU? But they get so mad about it. So that kind of made me happy in a twisted way. Yeah, and then on the Titans side of it, like, whatever, this is the Tennessee Titans I'm used to. I don't hate it. I don't like it. I just am not excited about it. It's just kind of, kind of blah. It's like 2016 where they didn't want to get – they were uh, didn't want to draft Tunsil because they believed in Lawan, and then they traded back. And then – so they got the picks for trading back, and then Tunsil literally had, like – I mean, in the Titans sense, a miracle happened and him fall to him again, and they take Jack Conklin instead – Whatever. People, uh, the misconception about the Titans is that they had a good offensive line all year because of what Derrick Henry did in the playoffs, and that just wasn't the case. Their line was one of the highest paid in the NFL, and I would say for like 12 games, it really just sucked. Um, so I get this. It makes sense. I just, I have a hard time getting really pumped up about it, but whatever. What makes sense? I figured they might take a corner or somewhere in the secondary because they lost a couple pieces to free agency, but you know, whatever. Good kid. Seems like he's pretty good. Uh, I just didn't have a ton to say in it. But, like, the Titans never do exciting things in the draft. Like, I mean, Jeffrey Simmons was pretty exciting last year, but then at the same time, at the time, I was like, oh, well, he's not playing this year. He ended up coming back at the end. Rashawn Evans was okay. And then 2017 was, like, the closest thing they did to, like, sexy draft picking uh, after Conklin. Well, getting A.J. Brown in the second round was pretty good drafting, though. Oh, absolutely. And then they, they took Corey Davis after, or I guess, before Conklin. Um because they had one and five in that draft, if I'm not mistaken, and then traded back to eight and five. But whatever. Like, there's like the last time I've actually gotten pumped was Marcus Mariota, and that didn't exactly uh, that didn't exactly turn out okay. But you know, whatever. It wasn't Jake Locker. 
I uh, yeah, he wasn't a bust. I, I don't think or do, tell they me did if you a bad this. job building around him early in his career, yeah. and it really just stunted his development. If Marcus Mariota has a second three year win. Uh, wind, like run, whatever, I guess would be a better way to describe it with another team to where they're in contention a couple years. It wouldn't shock me. He's not terrible. He just was a bad fit for that offense. And, yeah. uh, but not a bust, I guess, is what, I, what I'm trying to ask. Like, what, you wouldn't label him a bust, would you? <sighs> he's not. It wasn't no. great, but he, he wasn't a bust because he played and he was productive enough and, and wasn't it's, bad. It's kind of interesting. You talk about that draft. I almost brought this up on the radio show the other day, but we shifted gears to another topic. You know, that whole draft was Winston versus Mariota. Which one do you take? And it was sort of like, it was like a it was like a more diluted uh, luck RG three thing where Winston was pro like like it was a little more even obviously because why would you not take Andrew Luck? But like it was, it was like Winston's probably getting picked by the Bucks, but you know they're going to kick the tires on Mariota. It's just interesting to me, you know, four or five years later, neither one of them got second contracts as the number one and number two picks in the draft. And another thing, no one remembers they played each other in their first NFL game, and the Titans kicked the shit out of them. I just throw that in there, but Did I just found Davis it interesting. Throw a, like, an interception on his opening possession of his NFL career. I believe so, and I might have gone to the house because I remember the Titans won that game in Tampa by a ton. But uh, I just found that interesting. Like, both of these guys, franchise quarterbacks, started out really promising, and neither one of them are going to get second contracts with the teams that drafted them. But all along that note, anywho, quarterbacks was the other big story of the night. It, uh, it turned out uh, common sense seemed to prevail in pretty much every case. The Bengals didn't shop the first number one pick. I don't think they were ever going to. I think that was uh, Mike Florio just wanting something to happen. <laughs> And then the Dolphins at number four or number five, excuse me, pick Tua. And then really the like I'll, I'll just kind of sum it up and then we'll kind of like backtrack. It, like in my mind, I was sitting there thinking if if Herbert isn't taken by uh, the the Chargers here at six, this is gonna like this is when it's gonna get interesting because he could fall a long way because the rest of the teams uh, didn't need quarterbacks unless someone traded up like the next like six, seven, eight teams, but. Common sense prevailed. Uh, the Dolphins take Tua. The uh, Chargers take Herbert with the next pick, and there was really almost no drama at all as far as where the quarterbacks were slotted, which not a bad thing. It was just you don't always see common sense prevail. How about the smoke screens? I mean, I guess it didn't work out because neither team got a deal, but, I mean, we were led to believe that, I mean, L.A. was going to move up or Miami was going to move up and all these things happened. None of them – got any value out of it, so maybe the, the other GMs in the league didn't buy it, but I, I kept thinking how good of a smokescreen job it was from those two to keep everybody on their toes about who they were picking. I mean, this this was exactly how people thought it was going to unfold two months ago. And since then, it was, oh, who's going to go where? Two was going to drop. I'm hearing this. I'm hearing that. And people don't make that stuff up. That's all stuff that's out there. And I guess credit to Miami and L.A. for for putting all that out there and then they're not acting on it, I guess. It's an interesting dynamic because these two, and it's weird because neither one of them were the first quarterback taken. They were the second, obviously, but still top six picks. These two, in my opinion, are going to be linked together forever. Like them, him versus him. How did his career out versus him turn out? Cause it kind of became the debate, but what's going to be interesting to me uh, next year is, uh, Herbert's on a team that's ready to win right now. He's got really good weapons, a pretty good offensive line, and a damn good defense. Like, 
he's basically like you take out Phillip Rivers, you insert this rookie, and you've got a playoff team essentially. Rivers was just awful last year, but you remember at the end of 2018 with largely the same roster, uh, the Chargers were one of the best teams in the NFL, maybe the best team. Went into Baltimore and won a playoff game, and uh, honestly, just had a terrible game plan in New England. But point being, this is a team that is trying to win a Super Bowl right now uh, in one of the weirdest dynamics ever with no fan support. Dolphins a little bit better, like uh, like you know, spent some money in free agency after trying to tank, have a billion draft picks. Young team, but should be better. But it's going like the takes are going to be hilarious when Herbert has more immediate success, is what I'm trying to say, because he's on a team that's built to win now. Yeah, and man, look, I would have taken Tua first as well. And there are questions about Justin Herbert and big games. But, I mean, look at his production. It's not like he was Josh Allen and just had size. Because that's all Josh Allen had. He was not productive in college at all. I mean, his his accuracy was not good in college. He, He wasn't productive, but he was big, and that's what mattered. He was a big guy with a big arm. Justin Herbert's really productive, and and you can shit on the Pac-12, and I shit on the Pac-12 all the time. It's a terrible Power 5 conference, the worst Power 5 conference, but it still is one. And multiple years, he was productive, accurate, and efficient at a Power 5 level. That's not by accident. I mean, the guy can play. He's not just some bum who's tall and, and getting big grades because he looks good in shorts. He's getting big grades because he's tall and he's got a big arm, and also he's productive. Yeah, and then just I, the medical stuff never, not to pull a coward, but the medical stuff just never really scared me that bad with Tua. It's like it's football, guys get hurt. You know, this is high risk, high reward anyway. Why not just take the most talented kid? But then, like, everyone kept at, like, all, it seemed like the very much the Southern college football footprint whether it's media guys or just fans or whatever, is like, how in the hell could you take this Herbert guy over Tua to where it's like, I agree with what you're saying, but like, I could see it. And just because like, cause the, the, you put, give, give uh, Herbert Alabama's receivers at Oregon in the Pac-12 and see what happens. Like you just can't compare like dude, based dude, on replace game him. results. Just put Herbert at Alabama in the SEC and tell tell me he's not going to New York for the Heisman ceremony. It's a mix between measurables and college production, and people just tend to sway one side or the other. Tua, to me, I would have picked him. I, honest to God, may have taken Tua over Joe Burrow if not for the injury thing. Because you were talking about, I mean, the 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 Dolphins' strategy, nicknamed in the media last year, was not tank for Burrow, it was tank for Tua. That may just be because it's catchy and it all starts with T's, but like he was the number one pick until basically he just wasn't. Like He kind of had a downward fall. Uh, I kind of felt well, We heard from John kid. yesterday, and I, I know he, he he's an in-house guy for Houston, but he was a scout for a long time, and he knows his shit. He said if it wasn't for the injury thing, he was going number one regardless of team. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree. I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. I think he's got more. I think he's got more arm talent and upside than Burrow. I think Burrow is going to be pretty good. But like, you know, and how many times when you have a quarterback heavy draft? Uh, I, I I can't think of any drafts like the years off the top of my head, but I can think of like the drafts when you have a quarterback heavy draft. When you have three, two, three, or three, four, five guys that you think are all suitable NFL quarterbacks, how often does it ever actually work out that the first one taken is the best NFL quarterback? Remember Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky, <laughs> Josh Allen, uh, and then at the bat, and then you had Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Like it rarely ever actually works out that way. So honestly, if you're putting money 
for me, who's the best successful NFL quarterback long term, I might throw my money on Tua. Especially with what Miami's building, too. I think they're well coached and, and they're going to have a, a really talented team. So I, I'm with you. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's the most successful one. I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Love has a good NFL career. He's also got a better head coach. Like, uh, he, like I think Brian Flores is probably better than Zach Taylor. Uh, the Dolphins aren't exactly a beacon of stability in football common sense, but when compared to the Bengals, they look a little more like it. It's like, you know, they're, a, they're, they're they go from a five to a hard seven when next to the Bengals type of thing. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I wasn't rooting for anyone to fall, but I was kind of felt a little bit robbed of quarterback drama once they all were within the first uh, six picks. And uh, really outside of that, I think the other main story of this draft was the wide receivers. Uh, I texted you this last night. The uh, Henry, like the two, I I was looking in Vegas yesterday just to kind of see on some like books or whatever, like who was going to be the first receiver taken. CeeDee Lamb was the favorite. And then a close underdog was Jerry Judy. And this is just kind of what John Gruden does. He marches to the beat of his own drum. They draft Henry Ruggs as the first receiver taken off the board. You remember last year they drafted Cleveland Farrell, and who was the who was the defensive tackle that everyone assumed, or defensive lineman that everyone assumed was going to be the first one taken? I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't the one the Raiders picked. Um. Oh God, he went to New York, right? Yeah, I'll I'll look it up. But this is kind of just what Gruden does. But it was a shocker to me. I did not see Henry. I think Henry Ruggs is good. I think Judy might be one of the honestly the best of the three is uh, Devonta Smith, who's coming out next year. But uh, of the two, Judy is one of the best receivers I've ever seen. And I I think I read that McShay said he's the best route runner he's ever seen uh, in all of his years of scouting. Uh, Whatever Gruden, like. So they picked Quinnen Williams, or Quinnen Williams went to New York before Oakland. So if you're looking at defensive linemen, it would be Ed Oliver, uh, Christian that's exactly Wilkins. What they took Cleveland Farrell over Ed Oliver. Did you know who Cleveland Farrell was really until last? Like, did you? I did. did you, not, not, not knew who he was. That's a bad way to term it. Did you think there was any chance he would be a top five pick? No, because it, there was a defensive lineman from the school he played for that was better than him available, and they took him instead. Right, but the kid was a pretty productive player, and like that's why I'm not, I'm not really like to Gruden's credit, he catches some shit sometimes, but he kind of actually knows what he's doing as a talent evaluator. You know, he got killed for the Khalil Mack trade, but as that trade, that trade is aging like a fine wine for them, it's getting better and better by the year. Like he, like he seems to know what he's doing, and like I think a lot of people thought when he left TV and signed a ridiculous contract and all that, that it was probably might be a disaster. But I'm just not, I'm not going to question him until it flops. Like he, John Gruden has grown on me in terms of competency. It's almost like a coach that won a Super Bowl understands what it takes to do so. Yeah, I, think, I mean, and then his entire time, he was basically a talent evaluator for ESPN. I mean, Monday Night Football was almost like his side hustle. So, like... I don't know, but I did find that interesting. I figured it would be C.D. Lamb or Judy. I thought whoever took C.D. Lamb over Judy was nuts, but uh, Gruden, Gruden said, hold my beer. Um, but after that, it was interesting. Uh, I think C.D. Lamb as a Dallas Cowboy is a great storyline. Probably a good day to be Dak. Well, that's okay. That, I almost made it a, a bad uh, reference there. Yeah, uh, no, that's okay. 
Yeah. Football-wise, a good day to be Dak Prescott in the Dallas offense. Obviously, I, I did see the news this morning. I didn't actually catch it last night that Dak Prescott's brother passed away. But uh, yeah, not make trying to make any correlation there. Football-wise, Dak Prescott got a good weapon yesterday is what I was trying to say. I uh, CeeDee Lamb in a Cowboys uniform is going to be a lot of fun. That's a really good pick for them. I mean, now they have a number a number one and a number two receiver, and and they lost Randall Cobb, but he wasn't as productive, and so they get this kind of talented guy. That offense now, I mean, there's really no excuse, right? At this point, with a quarterback that you're about to pay a lot of money and two really good wide receivers and a running back that you're overpaying, but still, he's there and he's really productive and a very expensive offensive line, not really an excuse anymore to go to New Orleans and score nine points with the playoffs on the line. Okay, then, so that that's, I, I agree with what you're saying, but also it's almost like everyone's assuming that they're going to get this deal done before the season starts and the franchise tag was just a short-term bridge to get to that, but they lost, they didn't win a really, 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 really bad division last year. I mean, they lost to Philadelphia with basically Carson Wentz and some practice squad guys to lose the division. My thinking is, and I'm not anti-Dak. Like, I've actually, he's been, I didn't think, I thought he would be a serviceable NFL quarterback, uh, but I didn't think he'd end up being as good as he was. I was kind of wrong on that. But there's also, I think, a fairly low ceiling in terms of superstar. So everyone's assuming this deal's getting done why, if you're the Cowboys, would you not let him like make him play out the franchise tag? And then, because if you suck this year and you're bad offensively and you still don't make the playoffs, don't you have to do something else? Like he's obviously not that caliber of a guy. I, well, I no, I agree. I've very much been on the uh, you put your foot down at a certain number, and if he doesn't take it, let him try to get that somewhere else and move on. I mean. I, I hate the concept of, well, you're next, so you have to set the market. I, I don't like operating that way because just because you're next doesn't mean you should set the market. Look at Jared Goff. You know, I mean, Goff is good, but is he worth what you're paying him? Absolutely not. And now, because of other bad market-setting decisions that the Rams have made, they're paying $72 million this year for Jared Goff and two guys not on their team anymore. Hey. You can't hamstring yourself with an unproductive quarterback. He's fine. He's good. You could get worse, but you could get better. And if you don't have better, don't pay him like he is. I, I don't understand that concept of, well, it's the NFL's, and you if you have a quarterback that's not terrible, you've got to pay him a shit ton of money. No, you don't. Let somebody else overpay him. You can get another Jared Goff. That guy exists out there. I promise you he does. Yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're we're aligned in our thinking on this, and I'm not anti-Dak. I mean, I I, I would he's honestly fine. he's not like thirty-eight a million dollars a year good though. No, but from like a, just a personal story standpoint, like I hope that they're pretty good. Like I don't hate the Cowboys like most people do. I never understood why they're hateable. I think Jerry Jones is hilarious. I think their brand is awesome. I'm not a Cowboys fan, but like just personal story-wise. I hope they go 11 and 5 and win the division and he's turns out to be pretty good and gets the contract. But just if I'm sitting in the GM shoes right now, I'm probably wanting him to play out this franchise tag. I don't know if it happens. I don't know if he'll do it. Uh, but, you know, it seems like to me that you would have more leverage at the end of the day. And I would make Dak play out, play out the franchise tag. 
Because if you think with this offensive line, these receivers, and this running back, how much other help can you get? Because they're only going to get worse, like offensively, because you're going to lose guys in free agency and have to pay some people, and it's just the offensive line isn't going to be good forever. So if he's not like uber productive this year and right now, then it, it, like, it's never going to happen. That's right. So I, I'm with you. I think that's what they should do, but I, I kind of think they're not going to do that. Did uh, anything else really jump out in the draft? I'm just kind of skimming through uh, through these picks again, like the Redskins. The Patriots formally. trading out of the first round is interesting. They do that every year, though. Like I saw Bill Simmons' tweet. Bill Simmons, 15 minutes before the Patriots were on the clock, goes, uh, he goes, I just want the Patriots to trade out of the first round so life can feel normal again. And then 15 minutes later, <laughs> the Patriots <laughs> traded out of the first round yet again. And he tweeted, life is normal again. They do, Belichick does this like every year. And like, I don't know. I don't know what they're up to, but they're going to get two or three pretty good players that aren't wide receivers because that seems to be the only uh, the only position they can't draft. Uh, but yeah, what whatever. Uh they, I saw they butchered Caleb on Chason's name. I think that's a pretty good pick for Jacksonville, the tree well, building. They're gonna Goodell, Goodell screwed up to his name. I mean, come yeah, on. You're the freaking yeah. commissioner. You know you are reading his name tonight. Just Google Tua Tonga Vailoa and, and learn how to say it. It looked like I, he was shocked by the name, like he had never seen it before. <laughs> I uh, I know you're you're far more in tune with sports, and I'm not like trying to patronize you here. But uh, I uh, I mystified my roommates last night when I asked them what they thought Roger Goodell made. You do you know how much money he makes? Like fifty million. Yeah, he makes he makes a four. My roommates go eight, and then the other one was like six, and I was like forty million base with about fifty five uh, involved incentives kicking. He's got you pretty use of a this? private jet. Like that's part of his contract. He can just use a jet whenever he wants to. His net worth is $160 million. He's a football commissioner, and his dad got him the gig because his dad was some powerful politician, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. But, like, point being, I don't really hate Goodell. I kind of feel bad. Actually, I don't feel bad for him at all. But I, I, I kind of I feel for him getting like, dunked on all the time. But, like, you make $40 million a year. Maybe just get the phonetics of this dude's name right. Like, come on. But, his uh, basement sucks for a guy that's that rich. Yeah, I know. And he was like, I actually call this my man cave because it's not a man cave because I have two daughters. It's like, buddy, that wouldn't be a man cave if you had five boys. Like, that that's a, <laughs> that's a crappy man cave. Uh, he did let a little personality show. Like, he's always so buttoned up and talks like this, the same monotone voice, every single thing he says. But he was kind of letting loose a little bit. He was like, good news for the Dolphins or good news for Tua or whatever when they – took the offensive lineman with their second first-round pick, and he loosened up a little bit. Other than that, I thought he handled it fine. The uh, A lot of, like, the military tributes and stuff were so forced and staged, but always good. Like, obviously, they partnered with the NFL. I found the uh, everyone have their kids just awkwardly stand in the background of their shots was hilarious. Like, a few of those looked very forced. Yeah, I pointed at one uh, to my wife. Uh, I think it, was, it wasn't John Lynch. It was... Um... I can't remember. There were so many of them, but one guy's daughter in particular had, she did not want to be there at all. And you could tell she was just like, okay, dad, tell me when to go, please. Just can I go? Can I go? Like you see it on her face that she was miserable. Like, don't do that. It's cute. I guess like Lynch's kids looked like they, they were enjoying themselves, but it was the Tampa guy. Well, it's like the, it's like the, the little kids are enjoying themselves because they're hanging out with dad at work. 
But when you're sticking the 12, 13-year-old kid yeah. just to stand there awkwardly <laughs> behind his dad's office chair, like, can I go back to my Xbox? It just seems forced. It doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> like, I want to go Snapchat my girlfriend. Please yeah. let me go. <laughs> or go, like, you know, buy an R-rated movie without y'all knowing or whatever. Like, once you're past, like, age seven... Like you don't have fun with your dad at work anymore. Like you're not taking your 12 year old to work with you. Like I'm not saying he can't stand there. It just, a lot of those kids look super awkward and super disinterested to be there. But uh, draft wise, just really skimming through these picks. There wasn't really a whole lot of like, like just huge storylines. I mean, it kind of just went as chalk. Like I think a, a nice, like if you, Let's do the classic radio segment. Did you have a like a, a sleeper here or a steal? I think Justin Jefferson uh, going to the uh, going to Minnesota at twenty two is going to be interesting because man, they got some dirty receivers and a decent quarterback. I think that could be a pretty good pick. I found that to be pretty good because yeah, he was really damn good and got overshadowed by the Bama guys. Him falling to twenty two is, I mean, good for uh, good for Minnesota. That's a great pick. I, I think talked about him a little bit already but baltimore not having to move up to get patrick queen is i don't know if that's a sleeper but that's more of like a steal than anything else that's the most complete team in the nfl is it not yeah yeah i think so i mean i'm just not sure like uh, there's to me it's them and then like a half tier below it's all your solid nfc teams like you know san francisco kansas city new orleans even though kansas city's not nfc point still stands yeah no but roster wise like kansas city wouldn't like kansas city if you took patrick mahomes off it would be a middle tier team middle to upper tier but like like lamar jackson aside that entire roster is just absolutely stacked they uh they're spoiler alert they're probably going to be pretty good again and there's going to be a shit ton of pressure on lamar jackson in their divisional round playoff game uh, outside of that, not really much. That Jalen Rager kid out of TCU, I don't know a bunch about him, but uh, it seemed fairly obvious the Eagles needed to draft a wide receiver, uh, and they definitely did that. Uh, I saw a twi- uh, tweet from friend of the show, Brody Miller, which made a ton of sense to me. Last pick of the first round, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, like, it makes a ton of sense. It's kind of like the uh, you don't really think about it, but Andy Reid's going to turn him into a badass player, and they have a bunch of speed on that offense. But Brody. Miller was like, uh, he's kind of like when the Spurs take a guy and it's very just bland, but then all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's the perfect Spur. That made a ton of sense to me to end the night. Yeah, and you're not supposed. I mean, the new rule was don't draft a running back in the first round, but when you're Kansas City and he's there, you take him. I mean, that, that was a good pick all around, and it didn't get much criticism just because the roster. I mean, it's so 32. Good, but, if you took yeah. him at 33, like you know, whatever. Like it's isn't that funny how that works? It's probably really cared. don't take a running back in the top fifteen. It's probably really the actual rule. Especially don't trade up for one. Yeah, but interesting night. That was uh and I'm looking forward to tonight too. I think tonight will be a lot more interesting than last night. What Miss you have you you have a more keen eye on the entire state as a whole. What Mississippian Mississippi in football players, not like native Mississippians, get drafted today? Are there any Maybe there's a like, um, to me there's a Dantzler and Gay. What about Benito Jones? Is he a third round guy? I mean, he could. Uh, I don't know how well his Senior Bowl went, um, and not like I'm not saying that as in it didn't go well. And I'm being nice. I I genuinely have no idea how he performed at the Senior Bowl. Uh, yeah, and, no, no, I feel you. I was thinking he he if if Ole Miss has a guy go today, it's him at the very end of the night, late third round, and then. Yeah. 
I think Phillips and Coatney have chances as day three guys. Really not much to, to speak of or cover from an Ole Miss perspective drafted all because it was such a young football team. But unless I'm missing someone else, those are really the three. And That's I think two it. of them are definitely day three guys. I think Benito Jones has a chance to go tonight, but uh, probably all three day three guys. But the end of the night, if you're looking for an Ole Miss uh, twist tonight, end of the third round, Benito Jones could slide in there. Uh, but State will have Dancer and Gay, you said. Yeah, absolutely both of them today. Yeah, get, Willie Gay especially. Um, Cam Dantzler's fallen lately, and I'm I'm curious as to why. I thought he, he going into the year he was really hyped up, and I think he matched his hype. It just he wasn't on a good football team. But those two guys are probably going today. So really, not a ton to speak of from a Mississippi's perspective, really at all. You know, you've had some years where both teams have just kind of crapped out guys, and then you've had others, and you've had others like this year where. It really just hasn't happening. Uh, but, you know, young football team for Ole Miss. State was okay. I think State was a bit younger on defense than they have been, weren't they? Uh, you say that, but they lost a ton, man. Um, yeah. It, the, this season, if it gets played, um, I just lost my train of thought. If this season gets played, Mississippi State is the most fascinating case study in the SEC to me because – Look, maybe there's a chance that they're an eight-win football team, but Mike Leach's first seasons don't go particularly well. It's a team that does not have good wide receivers. None of them are good, and it's a transfer quarterback in a new system, and they lose, I mean, on defense, they lose Willie Gay. They they lose... um, Cam Dantzler, why am I drawing a blank on him? And a, few, a handful of other guys as well. I mean, it is not Leo Lewis is gone, uh, Marquis Spencer's gone, Lee Autry's gone, Chauncey Rivers is gone. I mean, it is, it's no joke. It's a young football team next year. And, I mean, it, it's possible that they go 4-8. and eight. That That's possible, and to say it, it's not, I think is. I mean, blind homerism. But anyway, long-winded way to say they still lose a ton on defense, even though it doesn't feel like it because of what they lost two years ago. Absolutely. I think that kind of wraps up just really everything we had draft-wise. Entertaining night of television. I loved it. It was really just the first kind of live thing we've gotten to to see in a long time. Hopefully we have more uh, on the horizon sooner than later. We did have a couple LB's mailbags to get to that were just kind of sent to me randomly. We'll run through these real quick and then get back to a normal mailbag Friday next week. But let me pull these up. And my computer dies right as I click the button. Lovely. But, yeah, I mean, the next two days of this draft are going to be interesting as well. I'm probably not locked into day three, but I'll watch this again tonight just because, one, there's nothing else on. Two, second, third round. Honestly, from a Mississippi perspective, the second round was the most interesting last year uh, in a good way and a bad way because you had A.J. Brown go in the early part, and then in a bad way, D.K. Metcalf's fall was – like I remember just going pick by pick and being like, damn, when is this guy going to go off the board? And then he showed everybody why that was dumb. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like who's gonna who's that guy gonna be this year? And you know, they're not that guy, but there's multiple of them every every year. And uh yeah, not 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 the smartest evaluation, but teams get scared to death with injuries. He was kind of like this year's Tua in terms of injuries. Yeah, I think he was a first round receiver talent, but 
you know, he never really stayed on the field and he had an injury history and his, the back injury was serious or the, uh, like it was, it was, uh, that was no joke or neck, whatever it was, upper back neck. But, um, yeah, that was about it. I can't get this computer to turn on. So maybe we won't do the mailbag save. Maybe I'll save those for next week because I think they're both pretty evergreen. But, um, anyway, anything else happened that we missed? I don't think any other, uh, huge stories coming out of, uh, the draft, no other gigantic sports stories, to speak of otherwise, I think it was pretty much just NFL draft centric, was it not? Uh, yes, it was. Um, nothing else really going on, man. Sign of the times, but uh, you can buy an, your favorite NFL team uh, face mask now. So I got an NBA one, but you can also get a uh, an NFL one. There is also this story from uh, from Parrish, and I can't read it. With the exception of the first line, uh, David Saunders, the former Ole Miss assistant, is suing the NCAA. But I don't have a subscription, so I can't read the article. <laughs> okay. All right. So there you go. Breaking news. That was a... Uh, and that, that was uh, talking lawsuits. Yeah. And then Paris confused the hell out of me with this other headline. I went to check right as you did. And it said, John Rice Palmy leads team, red, leads team Red in Lane Kiffin's first Grove Bowl. And it says, or at least he should have. I was like, did I miss something? Like, was I supposed to be somewhere? Um, but yeah, so we'll uh, we'll have a probably still pretty draft centric show on Monday. I'm sure there'll be tons of storylines and stuff coming out of the NFL draft uh, over the weekend. Borky and I will be on radio this afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, three to six p.m. I'll remind you one more time before you get out of here. If you're in the Oxford area, go by LB's, go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. Primetime grilling season, primetime grilling weather. There's not a cloud in the sky as I look out of the window of my house currently. I wish I was throwing on something on the grill for lunch. Probably take care of that this weekend, but go see Greg, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. All kinds of daily specials, uh, custom cuts. He's got the quick bacon, uh, eight and six ounce bacon wrapped fillets, all kinds of sausages, crab stuff, mushrooms. He's got all the goods over there. Uh, no better time to support local businesses than right now. Hopefully Greg's back on the show soon, making us money with his picks. But for now, go support him. You won't regret it. He has delicious meat. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Appreciate you tuning in for another, uh, not really Mailbag Friday, but Friday podcast. Borky and I will be at it on the radio this afternoon. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on Monday. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.